bottom one in the scripture that we're reading today is Matthew chapter 5. It's Matthew 5, verses 21 through 22. Continuing our series here on the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard that you have heard that the ancients were told you shall and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court, and whoever says to his brother, You good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says, You fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Well, continuing here, the, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is moving now into this part of the sermon where he's speaking about the law that God gave the ancients or the Israelites on Mount Sinai and the law that God expected his people to follow. But he's doing something a, a little different. He's not just preaching the law. Okay, he's not just preaching do's and don'ts, but he's starting out with a statement of the law, and then he's actually, you, you could say, uh, he's upping the ante a little bit on what's expected because he opens up with this statement, do not murder, and then he says, but I tell you, and then he actually makes some statements that at first glance you might think are a little bit harder to keep than just not murder. Now, I don't mean to make anybody confess what they don't want to confess, but has anyone here ever committed murder? No, good. I'm glad to see no hands have gone up. That's wonderful. You could say that that might be one of the easiest laws of the Ten Commandments to keep. Do not murder. Just don't kill anybody. And, and you've kept at least one commandment. And Jesus opens up this part of a sermon by saying, you've heard it said, do not murder anybody that's murdered. Anybody that murders, anybody that kills, is going to be liable to the counselor, is going to be guilty before the judges. And this is a true statement. And Jesus even says in a passage before this one that he's not coming to abolish the law, but he is coming to explain the purpose of the law and what that's meant to do to our heart. See, the reality is the law is good, right? That, that rule, do not murder, along with others such as do not covet, do not steal, do not lie, keep the Lord your God as your only God in your life, that, those laws are good. Those laws are meant to guide us, and that's what they were given to the Israelites for. They were meant to sort of hem in the Israelites in a way of living that says, basically, just don't do these things. It's kind of what that law was meant for. It was meant to guide their society. It was meant to guide their spiritual life. But what the law was inadequate to do was change the heart. I'll give you an example. We had a dog growing up. She lived for about 16 years. And, and she grew up in a country where we could just let her go. And, and she would run a good distance. She knew when to stop. And then she would come back. And then we moved to the city. And we trained her really well that she could not just run out of the backyard, okay? And we trained her really well. If we were going to put her outside, she was on a leash or she was in a little pen, and that's where she would be outside. And, and her behavior was, for the most part, I would say 99% of the time, hemmed in. But there was the occasion that we would open the door and she would see a squirrel, or she would see a cat, or she would just have one of those days where she missed the country. And her nature as a dog 
was to run away from the behavior that we trained her in. Sure enough, she would just go. And she was a small black lab, and man, could she run. And so we'd have to uh, get the leash and walk around the neighborhood and call her name out and finally get her and bring her back in. But that's what life is like for us. God can give us all the rules and regulations that he wants, but the reality is just telling somebody not to do something is not going to change the nature. Paul even says in, in the book of Romans that, that uh, when we hear that phrase, do not touch, what's the immediate feeling that we get? We, we get in our childhood, don't we? Don't touch that. What's the first thing we want to do? Take my finger and touch that very thing I'm not allowed to touch. So the law is good, do not murder, but it's inadequate because all it can do is call attention to our behavior. It can't change our heart. And so Jesus says, you've heard it put, you've heard the law, do not murder. If you murder, you'll be liable to the council. But I tell you, he gives three statements on the condition of the heart and what needs to be changed. The first condition is, uh, he says, but I tell you, if anybody is angry with his brother, he is already guilty before the council. That's my paraphrase to that statement. He makes this statement and says, anybody that's angry with his brother is already held guilty to the council. What does that mean? Some of your translations might have the statement, uh, some of your Bibles might have the statement, anybody who is angry with his brother without cause. And so there could be a, a statement there that Jesus is making, not a blanket statement on anger, but a statement on if you have troubles with a brother in Christ or a fellow person, and you have no reason to be angry with them, there's a problem. Another way of looking at it with this word anger is it's not a blanket statement of anger because anger is an emotional response to something. Uh, a few weeks ago, uh, we had a, an issue with one of our vehicles, and my son, and I know I, I talk about my kids a lot, but they really help me understand what God deals with with us, okay? Uh, but I was talking with my son, and he said, how come we're not driving that car? And I said, well, you know, there's something wrong with it. And I said, I, I think I'm going to try to fix it if I can't get it to a mechanic. There was a pause, and he said, Daddy, I don't like it when you work on cars. You get grumpy. Very true statement. That is an emotional response to frustration. And we're going to run into that. We're going to run into issues in our life where anger is going to rise and it needs to subside. What Jesus is talking about specifically is not necessarily anger at anything. It, uh, he's talking about anger at another person. And the word that he uses here to describe anger actually calls our attention back to the book of Genesis, uh, when the brothers Cain and Abel had an issue between one another. If you remember that story, it's Genesis chapter 4. If you go back and read that, both brothers are giving a sacrifice to the Lord, and the Lord wants Abel's sacrifice, but he doesn't want Cain's. And I believe it's in verse 4 or 5 that it says that, that Cain had anger against his brother Abel. And what we know about the story is that anger rose up and he killed his brother. And so what Jesus is talking about in this passage is when we have anger or hatred or envy against a brother or a sister in Christ or just another person, 
We've already got a condition in the heart that will one day lead to the path of death. And Jesus is warning us, you know, the law says just don't murder, but Jesus is saying, but I tell you, if you have a problem against somebody else and there's no cause for it, or maybe there is a cause, but you've not taken care of it, you're already held guilty. And the statement there that he uses when he says you're already guilty before the council, it's the same statement that he makes in the prior verse when he says, if you murder, you will be guilty before the council. The statement he's making is, if you have a problem with another person, if you have anger or envy or hatred, hatred against somebody else, you're guilty. You stand guilty whether or not you address the issue with anybody else, whether or not anybody else comes to you to correct the problem, you are guilty. And this is even a, a bigger, profound statement when you consider that he's using the same word as he described the guilt of murder. He's saying you're already down the path of murder. You're already down the path of hurting someone. Well, that's the first statement that he makes. The statement of anger in the heart towards another person. The second statement that he makes, he says, if you say to anybody, do good for nothing, you'll be held accountable to the Supreme Court or the Supreme Council. Now, what does this phrase, you good for nothing, mean? Now, I don't know about you. I've been called a few names in my life. And good for nothing has not been the worst name that I've been called. There's been far worse names that I've been called. So what is this statement when Jesus says, you good for nothing? Well, it, it's a rough translation of this Aramaic word, which is pronounced raka. And, and some of your Bibles might have that word in there. If you say to your fellow brother, raka, then you'll be guilty before the Supreme Court. Well, this word, raka, is this all-inclusive statement of hatred. Not just a statement of hatred, but it's a statement of insult, and it's a statement of injury. It's a statement that sort of says, I wish you were dead. I wish you did not exist. I wish harm against you. In, in terms that we might use today, it might be more than an insult. It might actually be assault, threatening somebody, hating them so much that you want nothing bad for them, nothing but bad for them. So in the statement that Jesus gives, he starts out with anger. He says if you have anger in your heart towards somebody and you haven't resolved it with them, that's going to fester and grow, and that turns into rock. That turns into a hatred statement. That turns into insult and injury that you wish upon somebody else. And he says, if you commit that, what, what that's going to lead you to is the Supreme Council. Now, the Supreme Council in Jesus' time was called the Sanhedrin. It was the group of Jewish leaders that, that, were, uh, that would convene with one another, and they would oversee court cases. So if you had an issue against a fellow brother or sister, you would bring them to the Sanhedrin and they would determine if you were at fault or not. And so Jesus says, if you act out in this way, if you wish uh, uh, death, if you wish hatred against somebody, you're going to be held accountable to a person. Now, we don't have a same hatred today. We don't have elders in a court system. But what we do have is us, one another. We are held accountable one to the other. And so if there are issues that are brought up, we're called to address those with one another. 
Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 18, where he says, if you have a problem with a fellow brother, you're to go to them and try to solve that problem, resolve the issue. And then it says, if the issue can't be resolved, well, then take another person and try to help resolve the issue. Try to help them figure out what's going on. And if in the end, the person that you're resolving the issue with doesn't listen, then you're to stay away from them. You're, you're not to try to uh, associate with them anymore. The point being, we are called as fellow Christians to resolve issues with one another and to help each other get through these issues of anger and frustration. Not just within the church, but outside of the church. Uh, you'll hear leadership here say all the time, if you come to any of us in leadership and say, I have a problem with this person, we're going to say, have you talked to them about it? Have you tried to resolve it with them? And then we, we direct back because the purpose is we don't want that anger and frustration to grow. We want it to be resolved. We want us to have a loving, safe community that we can worship in. And so Jesus' call here is don't be angry with one another. And if something begins to arise there, stop it before it grows into something worse, like Raka, where you insult and add injury and, and try to assault somebody and hurt them. Well, now we have a third statement. And this third statement gets a little bit bigger. And it's not just anger in the heart. It's not just this physical harm to somebody else. Now we've got spiritual harm. And that is, if you say to somebody, you fool, if you say to somebody, you fool, you'll be liable to the fiery hell. That's, that's a bold statement. That, that's a big statement that Jesus makes. So what is he saying here? Well, that statement, you fool, is more than just an insult. It's a judgment on somebody else's spiritual life. If you go back to Psalm chapter 14, verse 1, it opens up and says, He is a fool who in his heart believes there is no God. It's the statement back in the book of Psalms that's talking about the nations or the people outside of Israel. And the statement is, those outside who don't believe in our God, those who don't believe, that God exists, that God fights for us. They're fools. They're empty. They don't have God in their life. So when you make this statement to somebody else, as Jesus puts it, if you call them a fool, it's a statement of spiritual judgment that you're saying you don't even belong in this church. Well, let's apply it to how did that look in our lives today. It would be if we had an issue with somebody else, and so we automatically saw them as being outside of the body of Christ. Casting judgment on somebody when we have no place to do that. If you go back to the book of 1 Samuel, as, as God is calling Samuel uh, to anoint David, what does he say? He says, man sees on the outside, but only God can see within the heart. And so we know that we're not called to cast spiritual judgment on anybody's soul. We're not called to make those statements, and Jesus warns if you have anger and bitterness in your heart towards another person, what that starts to turn into is it starts to turn into having problems with them that are unresolved. And when you don't resolve those problems, you begin to cast spiritual judgment on them in a way that is not fitting for the body of Christ. And the warning that Jesus gives here is you would be liable to hell. 
Now, hell is a very real place. And, and as Billy Graham has, has pointed out in his ministry, it wasn't meant for us. It was meant for Satan and his demons. It was meant for them. So, so it's a place that is away from God. And Jesus warns, if you go down this path of, of being angry and bitter towards one another, not resolving the issue, and making spiritual statements against somebody else, he warns us, that actually leads down to the path of hell. That leads down the path of death. That leads down the path of ultimately being separated from God. So now, when we look at this statement of what the ancients were told, of what the Israelites were told, do not murder, Jesus is making a statement not just not to murder, but he's making a statement of the heart. Don't even be angry with a fellow person. If you are angry, try to resolve it. If you can't resolve it, bring others to help you out. Long to live in a loving community with one another. So, I don't know about you, but I read these verses, and I think, ooh, this is tough. Because I've been in situations where I'm around other people, and quite frankly, they're difficult to work with. Not in, not in I'm not talking about you guys. <laughs> talking about my past, don't worry, it's none of you. But I mean, we've all been in those situations where, where we've run into something difficult. And so we're listening to these words and thinking, how do we get through this? How, how do we do this? Well, first of all, as mentioned a few times already, we are called to resolve issues with anybody that we have a problem with. So again, Matthew chapter 18, there's a set of verses there that give us direction. And what's wonderful about those verses is Jesus says, if you go and resolve this issue with another person, and if at some point you have to bring somebody else along with you, he says, where, where, two, or three, where two or three are gathered, there the Spirit of the Lord is also. So when Jesus makes this statement about two or three being gathered, God is there, it's actually a statement about resolving issues with one another. Which means even if you go alone to speak with somebody, you're not going wrong. God is already present in that conversation. And if you have to bring somebody else along, for sure God is present in that conversation. As long as it's done with, with the spirit of love, with Jesus leading you. So, how do we get through this? We resolve issues that we have with other people. And I gotta tell you, that's not easy. I know it's not easy because I've had to do it before. I don't like it. I don't know about you, but whenever I have to have those difficult conversations, my throat gets dry, my stomach is sick, I don't want to go through with it. But what gets me through with it is knowing Jesus is present in that moment. Jesus is there. The other way that we can let go of anger towards somebody else is to forgive. Now this can be a tough one because there might be some bitterness that has grown up. But what's interesting is Paul makes this point in Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians 4, 4, he says, Forgive one another just as Jesus Christ has forgiven you. Now, I don't know about you, but my sin against God has been great. And the issues that I've caused him have been vast. And yet, Jesus Christ has forgiven me. 
He has resolved the issue he had with me and my sin by forgiving me. And so when we look at maybe some issues that we have with somebody else, not only do we resolve it, one of the things that we do is we forgive that person. And forgiveness can be difficult, but the glory of it is that it's not just that you forgive once and completely forget about it, it's that you forgive, and any time the enemy tries to bring that up, you remember, I've already forgiven that person. Whatever issues I've had with them is in the past. I am a new person. I have forgiven them, just as God has forgiven me. And the final point, how do we do this? How does our, our nature change? Like I said about my dog growing up, you know, we can change her behavior a little bit, but that nature, we can never take the dog out of the dog. The dog is always the dog. She would always run away. Well, here's the amazing thing. Jesus can change our nature. Jesus is changing our nature. As we talked about in, in the earlier, earlier passages of the Beatitudes, that, that the Beatitudes were not just do's and don'ts, but they were character traits that Jesus works within us. That includes this issue of anger with brothers and sisters. That really, it's not us having the let go of anger. It's Jesus letting go of anger within us. This is all the work of God. And so whatever issues we run into, we're able to go to God and say, Hey, God, I'm having this issue. And there's this person in my life, and I don't know how to work. But God, I know you know how to work with them. Would you do that in my heart? You see, the statement of do not murder is much deeper than just do not murder. It's a statement of the condition of the heart. And the beautiful part about it is Jesus is already working that within us. He's already working within us that whatever issues we have, we can resolve those with the people we need. We can forgive the people that we need to. Our hearts can be changed for a right relationship with one another. Let's pray. God, thank you for the work that you've done in our heart. Not just in, in this issue of anger uh, or frustration with a fellow person in relationships, but Lord, all of the work that you're doing in our heart. Everything that called us to do and given us the power to do. Thank you, God, for that. As we go out into the world, as we continue uh, living our lives this week, we pray that you lead us. We pray that you will us. We pray that you continue to work in our hearts and change us to be more like you each and every day. Amen.